It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, hey, hey. Greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. We are going to hear from Regina Mitchell, also known as Chef Regina, in this episode. As the name indicates, she has spent a lot of time in the kitchen and kitchens of uh, hotels and restaurants, and she's a classically trained chef and, and has been throughout Europe and got quite an illustrious career in the kitchen, but that changed for her one day as she had a run-in with a rare condition, type of uveitis, and it affected both of her eyes pretty dramatically. And she really had to pivot in her career and find a new way to um, share her passion for cooking for herself, for others, and then also teaching others how to cook. And I think she's got a great partner to uh, help her, and she's she's just really fortunate to have that. And I'm I'm looking forward to hearing from her. Hey, Chef Regina, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, John. I understand we have sous chef Stan with us too. Is that is that correct? <laughs> yes, you, that's correct, John. Thank you for allowing me to be the fly on the wall. Appreciate it. <laughs> hey, no problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, once a chef, always a chef. Is that kind of the way it goes? Oh, that is so true. Yes, absolutely. Once a chef, always a chef. And uh, we were speaking a little bit before that we hit the record button on this thing that uh, we're connected through Stephanie McCoy and Becky Andrews are our common threads here with us. And both of them have been podcast visitors. So uh, welcome to the club. I guess this is kind of your initiation. <laughs> Yes, Daring Sisters. Yeah, I met Becky first, and then I met Stephanie through a retreat that was given by Daring Sisters. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm mm-hmm. interested to uh, hear about some stuff in the chef world. You've got a pretty long trek record with that, but this is the Ambiguously Blind podcast. We do talk a bit about vision, sight loss, and those types of things, and you've got a pretty unique story that affected your sight loss. And you told me what it is, and, and I, I'm not going to try to pronounce it or try to explain it. So I thought I'd just let you kind of un, unwrap that for us and tell us kind of what happened, because it happened for you a little bit later in life. Is that right? That is right, John. It did. It happened uh, about 10 years ago. And I was had maybe 2030 vision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about 2030. Uh, pretty good vision. Yeah, that's, and that's pretty all the good. Way, yeah, that's pretty just, good. Yeah. Yeah. And going along through my life as being uh, a wife, daughter, granddaughter, friend, mother, and working as a chef and then also working in the hospitality industry. And uh, we took a nice little trip to Williams, Arizona when my daughter was little to take her to the Polar Express. And on that trip is when I had an eye pain in my right eye. And then during the trip, maybe once, 
I had the little spurt of a pain in my eye. We didn't think anything of it until we were returning home. And that's when the pain didn't let up as easy as it did at first. And then uh, the next day going to work is when the huge pain hit uh, when I went to get dressed and I turned the bathroom light on. It was excruciating. The uh, I just was enormously affected by the brilliance of the light. And I called out to my husband and then we went to the eye doctor. And then the journey began. <laughs> um, them not knowing what was wrong, they just kind of gave me some eye drops and sent me on my way. Then we continued with the doctor's visits. It it wasn't letting up. I I was seeing at that time more of a white out. I guess you could say almost like a. It felt as though a flashlight. I was looking at a flashlight. Every now and then it would go away, but then it would come back and sometimes would stay longer where I couldn't see for certain amounts, a certain period of time. And when you could see, was it normal sight at that point or was it different? Yeah, yeah. it was normal. It was like a normal sight. Okay. And was that, was that, was that happening in both eyes? Yeah, I'm going to say yes, because I never closed one eye to look at the other one. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Um, but then eventually about maybe four months into me going to the optometrist here, one of the doctors who was really taking care of my eye health, uh, realized after the retina specialist report came back that everything was fine in my retina. Then that's when he said that he knew of a doctor at UCLA at Jewel Stein Eye Research Institute. And said that that would probably be good for me to go and if my insurance would um, offer that kind of specialized care. And it did. And my husband and I took the trip. It's about a four hour drive from, I currently live in Henderson, Nevada, and I was, would be going to Los Angeles, California, which is about a four and a half hour road trip. And um, we took it. And we saw my doctor, Dr. Levinson, and just really one look in the eye and doing what he does best. He is a uveitis specialist. And there I was diagnosed with bilateral panuveitis. And uveitis is um, an eye condition where the uvea is has inflammation. That is the middle layer of your eye, all of those layers. So that's what was affected. And that was giving me that look of grayish white look, meaning that's sort of what I saw, more of a ghostly silhouettes. Um, so I don't see faces. I don't really, I don't have a depth perception. I have, sometimes I can, ha I can have a peripheral vision, but I'm going to say about 90%, I don't have it. Every now and then it'll come into focus. I mean, I can see something peripherally, but not always. So my vision changes on the day. 
just totally depends on what I'm, I have no idea what I'm going to see. So it's just kind of, it's just kind of random then? Yeah, it's a constant, but it can be worse the next day or it can be the same. So it just kind of fluctuates. Um, now, meaning it's not that it doesn't get any better. Like it's not clear. It won't be clear, but some days I noticed that it's a little worse than the day before. And the, the pain you were speaking of earlier, which was kind of the onset of this, mm-hmm. has that come back or does that happen or is that yes. under control through medication? Or No, I still get that pain. I only still get it in my right eye. I don't get it in my left eye, although my left eye is also affected. So that's why it's bilateral. But the right eye is the worst of the two eyes. It, it it's very blurry. I don't. I can't make out any any letters unless it's. I'm sitting right up on it, so I can. I do have some residual vision. I can see some print, but I have to be, like I said, very close on it. And I can. I do use a sharpie-ish pen, like the 2020 pen to write some things if I want to write something down. But mostly I do depend on my devices to make things out. Um, You know, the technology has been incredible during this time. I've had to adjust to so many things, as you know, John. (laughs) Um, So when all this happened, I was working at MGM Grand as a butler. I am a classically trained chef, but at that time I was working as a butler. And MGM, this is in in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, Uh yes. In Las Vegas. And that's where my career kind of came to a halt. (laughs) But before then, I'll take you into my sighted world. I went to school many years ago to culinary school. My husband found a great school. We were living in Seattle, Washington. And I went to the culinary school. I did very well. I really found my niche. I found that this was great um, for me to do. I loved cooking. And I was always the kind of person who wanted to know why things happen the way they do. So this was great for me to learn the whys behind cooking. So I actually graduated with a culinary science degree. And then from there, I received a British fellowship to study under um, chefs in Scotland. And then I went to London. And then from there, Paris, Rome. Barcelona. So I just traveled. Wow, and, that's a lot of, yeah, that's a lot of European yeah. stuff there. That was probably pretty fun, I would imagine. Yeah, it was great fun. We were gone for 18 months. My husband would come back and join me. Um, he would actually move me about, at first it was in Scotland, and then we went to London. And I said, Oh, I want to live in London. <laughs> and then he flew back and moved me to London. And so he just kind of did that throughout my stay. But then we came back to the States, and that's when I I worked with some pretty fascinating chefs as well as restaurateurs. 
And I've worked with uh, Emerald Agassi and Julia Child and Anne Willen, Alton Brown, a lot of celebrity chefs that um, from Sir Latab and also the local television station in Seattle. I did a lot of the background cooking and prepping for celebrity chefs. And then um, that's when I found out about the MGM Grand a couple about a year later. And then we relocated to Las Vegas to take on um, and to open up um, Skylofts at the MGM Grand Hotel. Skylofts is a boutique hotel and it services uh, what we call global nomads <laughs> that were elite guests with personalized service. And so that's what I did for five years. And then when City Center opened, that's another sister property of MGM Grand, I then went over to Aria and opened up Aria as a butler. And I did that for a couple of years. And John, that's when I, I started getting sick, meaning physically sick. I was more exhausted than anything at the time. It just seemed like it came from out of nowhere. And it seemed like I couldn't really finish a shift without, I don't know, just getting so exhausted. And eventually I went to the doctor and they discovered that I had lupus. Well, I just figured, okay, lupus, all right, I can handle you. I'll just continue on with my life. And I had no idea really the, the gravity of lupus. And um, boy, did I realize it after it started my eyes. Then that's what happened. It, it just kind of wreaked havoc on my other organs. So it it affected my pancreas, it affected my joints, it affected my kidneys. And it was just, but I was still working and I just was, I was relentless. And then I started noticing that as I was setting a table for one of the guests, that I was kind of clomping down the glassware and the silverware. It's like I couldn't really find out where the table was. Like it kind of like almost disappeared. And it would kind of go in and out, but I just figured, oh well, maybe I was just tired. And then that's when about a week or so later we we took the trip to Williams, Arizona. And then that whole thing began. After I visited UCLA and they diagnosed me with the bilateral panuveitis. The doctors, I then received integrated care. All my doctors were then now at UCLA because now I had other health conditions that they wanted to monitor. Well, they decided that it wasn't safe for me to return to work based on my eye condition, my health condition. So they did not um, they, I guess they did a, like a medical retirement. They didn't release me to go back to work. So what do you do? You know? Yeah, it's a tough, you got a decision to make, I guess. Yeah. So it was pretty devastating to have things taken from you. 
It's like, how, wait, how do you do that? How can you just take something away from me that I've, that I've nurtured, that I've, I have a, a brilliant skill set? I know that this culture of working in the culinary and the hospitality field, um, something that I'd loved, trained to do. And now then I was driving, so now I can't drive. Yeah, that was that was tough to have to just kind of say, okay, you can't see anymore, you're blind. So go sit down somewhere? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't get I don't get that feeling from you that, that that's, that's no, no, it's not gonna work and it didn't work because I kind of allowed myself to feel sad, to be upset, to not understand why, to get the health care that I needed. At that time, my doctor thought that it was best for me to be in a pretty tight um, treatment plan of getting um, chemotherapy monthly. So I received the chemotherapy monthly, which did help. It did lessen that pain in my eye as well as the joints. So they figured with the joints that they were initially treating, it was also keeping that inflammation kind of at bay in my eye. When every time I would go in after a treatment, I would go see my uveitis specialist. And there he noticed that I didn't have as many inflammatory cells. So I was sort of used as a lab rat <laughs> and they thought, hmm, well, wait a minute. By giving her these low dosage of a chemotherapy drug, then it's keeping those inflammatory cells at bay, which can these be cancerous-like cells? Hmm. So I've been on this dose of chemotherapy since 2017 and it has not made it better and I could also tell that my eyesight is diminishing but it's not at a rapid pace as it could be if that makes any sense yeah that's interesting now is the is the uveitis, is that in any way related to lupus? Is that a coincidence or is, that, is there a relationship? It is a there? coincidence. It has, no, the two are totally separate. They can't make any links with it. And the uveitis, is is that something that's genetic? Or... No. Okay. No, it's not and at nobody all. Nobody else in your family has that? No. Now, I, as far as lupus, yes, I did. I do have a niece had that had lupus. And then uh, it's also believed that my grandmother had lupus, but we're not certain. I can just tell by the lupus that I have, with the combination of the lupus that my niece had, I can look back and look at my grandmother and just some of the, like the light sensitivity, the darkness of the hands. I can kind of tell just some of it that she could have perhaps have had it. Hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. There was nothing prior to the trip to Arizona that had ever, or may, maybe just slightly before that, you were mentioning 
maybe some depth perception issues with the tabletop there, but nothing that really ever indicated there was any challenges with your eyesight. No, nothing at all. No trauma to the eye, no accident, no, I I mean, like, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't have anyone in my family that had eye conditions that could not be corrected. Um, You know, our family, you know, people wear glasses, but for me, it couldn't even be corrected. Yeah. Um, no. So it kind of happens, you know, maybe, I don't know, midlife is the right word to describe for you, but, you know, it's it's definitely a kind of a stark change in life for sure. And that's kind of what happened with me too in, in a different manner. Uh, everything was normal for me. And I, when I was in college and at the age of 19, which was just a couple years ago, in case you're wondering, um, was, uh, I got bacterial meningitis and, um, as a result of that, I, you know, I had normal sight, I don't know, 2020 ish or 2030 or something, but you know, normal and correctable with, with lenses if necessary. Uh, to the, and then all of a sudden I go to sleep and I wake up about a week later and, and I don't have normal sight anymore. I've got what I've got now, which that was uh, about almost 25 years ago now. So it's been, it's been a while. My, my sight's been stable since, but the meningitis was similar to your experience, I guess, because it, it just kind of happened and there wasn't really yes. any warning or anything for that. And in a previous conversation, we had a little bit of um, discussion about meningitis because you've, you've been affected by meningitis as well. Yes, my, I'm the oldest of four. And in the middle are the twins and then my younger sister. So my brothers that are twins, the youngest of the twin had spinal meningitis. And that occurred when he was 14 and I was just 15. And he passed away from spinal meningitis. However, his twin is fine. Yeah, and that's the thing with with meningitis. It is a it's a wicked and fast acting disease, and it it can take the life of an otherwise healthy. Um, oftentimes, it's a teenage person um, in as little as twenty four hours. So I was yes. really sad to hear that, and that's obviously pretty pretty tragic. So mm-hmm. yes, and that was um, actually from his death was the initial awakening of me cooking because my mother uh, of course was my goodness oh yeah devastated yeah yeah there's no words and so I stepped in as an older sibling and just started cooking and um, anything that I didn't know I'd ask my mom or call my grandmothers or call my aunts and they would just help me over the phone and then I just really loved cooking and loved feeding my family. And then it just grew into this, I want to cook. And so when when my husband asked me decades later, <laughs> what is it that I really wanted to do if there was money wasn't the object or he, he wasn't the, this object, I, if there were no limits, what, what would I want to do? for school. And I said, I, I would want to learn how to cook and to be a chef because I was, I think I was a great home cook, but now I wanted to really learn how to cook. 
his passing inspired that. And then we have the classically trained uh, chef Regina. <laughs> yes, you do, John. Yes. I've got some questions for the classically trained, some kitchen type questions. Okay. Okay. There's not a wrong or right answer to these. It's just kind of your your opinion, but um, we'll kind of see what you think. So if you could only have one knife in the kitchen, what would it be? Eight-inch chef's knife. That's the one that does everything. Does everything. I mean, it's probably not the best at everything, but it's the best utility that if you had to go somewhere, that's the one you're grabbing. That's the one I'm packing. That's the one I'm taking. I call it my girlfriend, so she she can come with me anywhere. Okay, now... Do you have one that you've had for quite some time or? Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's a hinkle. Mm-hmm. A hinkle. Yes. All right, sounds good. I don't know what hinkle <laughs> is, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's good. <laughs> what okay. about, what's the most underrated and what's the most overrated tool in the kitchen? Like what, let's start with the most underrated. What's the most underrated tool in the kitchen? Zester. Zester. Okay. Yes. Microplane. Microplane zester, yeah. Because when I watch people cook things, they do get a lot of zest, and then they microplane the the like uh, garlic and nutmeg. Yeah, and all you that can. Kind of stuff. See, you know, it's it's underrated, but you can do so much with it. Okay, and what about the most overrated tool? Uh, uh, overrated. Mm, okay, this is a dual purpose. It's gonna make sense. The most overrated would probably be the blender, <laughs> but it's it's utility. Like it's a utility, but it is really overrated, you know. Especially when it's people are using it for juicing and then you know blending, doing smoothies. Um, but I, you know, I, I just think it's kind of overrated. You, ha- you probably have like a gosh, I'm trying to think of the brand. I have a Ninja. And does that do everything you want it to do? It does absolutely everything I wanted to do. Do you do, do a lot of juicing? No, my body won't let me juice. So what normally goes in the blender? Uh, smoothies, like uh, more like yogurt smoothies. Uh, I like to do, um, well, okay, I take, okay, so smoothies, but then I have this little food processor. Now my little food processor, that's my other little girlfriend. And she does everything. She does all my um, batches of uh, oh chimichurris. Um, I love chimichurri. We, we just made chimichurri <laughs> last weekend. My wife does a really good job with. It. I love yeah, chimichurri. See? Yeah, chimichurri from a lot of. I mean, all those little. Even does some of my spice grinding. So I'm I'm in love. I'm in love with my little. Uh, mini uh, food processor. All right. What is the best meal you've ever cooked? Ooh, I know that right off the bat. Okay. You ready? Have it. Yeah. Okay. Sake marinated sea bass with coconut curry sauce sprinkled with toasted cashews. Wow. You did know that right off the bat. I knew it. Yes. I've never had sea bass. Ooh. Okay. It's a white fish thick white fish and it's uh it's as smooth as butter it just it's you don't you don't even need like they say you don't need teeth to eat that meat <laughs> yeah it's beautiful it seems like a, you know i go to, i'll go to like a nice 
you know, above average to fancy type restaurant. I don't have sea bass, but usually when I go to those places, I'm eating steak. And I, um, I always, I'm like, I, I, I want steak because I just want steak. But the sea bass, it's Chilean. It's, it's, it's Chilean. you know, it's so yes. great. It's a special. I'm like, you know what? I'm sure it's great, but give me the You me want the steak. Yeah. Yeah. I really need to branch out. You do. You need to branch out, John. Come on. You gotta, you gotta kick out of that box and get something different. Try something different. My husband and I, we do what's called, um, like, a restaurant uh, eat dine arounds where you go to say one restaurant for appetizer, then you go to the next uh, restaurant for the main, then you get in your car and you go to the next for um, dessert. Okay. So you're yeah. you're you're getting something different in each of these restaurants, but then you want to try something outside that you wouldn't normally eat. So John, let's get a challenge. Get that Chilean sea bass. And I think, um, I don't know if I can commit to that, <laughs> but I i tell you what, I will give it a much stronger consideration okay. the next time, because there's a particular restaurant we go to all the time, my wife and I, I shouldn't say all the time, but reg- uh, often, and for usually for special type occasions, and I'm, I'm just such, I'm so locked in on my, it's funny, I was telling somebody this earlier today, I always, always make fun of my parents for being so you know, stuck in their ways and not want to change Uh things. Okay. Well then here I am, you know, so, um, I, I should take my own advice as a young John Grimes, (laughs) not be like my parents (laughs) and have the sea bass. Okay. So you know what? I will come back. Regina, the sea bass. I will have the sea bass next time I go to this restaurant. Assuming they have it, which they almost always do. Is there a season for sea bass? Is there that, isn't. Is around, there around is, the, I think it's no, it's all around. Oh, this is my husband next to me that just spoke. This yeah, the sous chef. The sous chef. Up. Yeah, he knows. John, I would suggest that you not do the Chilean sea bass. Uh oh. Oh. I, I like what Stan's okay. saying. Also. Do you know why? Uh oh. No, tell me. Because you probably will not want to eat steak anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so if you okay. want to stay stuck, don't do it. <laughs> It's that good, huh? It's better than that. I told Regina the other day, I said, honey, for Thanksgiving, I would love for you to do Chilean sea bass. And because it comes and goes, I I was about to buy it right then. I called her on the phone and I was staring at it and I said, should I buy it right now or should I wait because it'll just be frozen until time to cook it for Thanksgiving. And I'd rather have it not frozen. Yeah. And she said, just wait. And I said, okay. And I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving dinner because we'll have Chilean sea bass. So No, no, let me back up. Because we will have sake marinated Chilean sea, bra- sea, sea bass in a coconut curry lemongrass sauce now see that sounds a lot better than when i was the restaurant i go to it's just they say it's chilean sea bass <laughs> they don't they don't jazz it up with all those things. oh yeah it's amazing yeah. it's it's a it's about a four-step process but you know what it's worth it i love it it's awesome so that is like my my the best meal that i prepare because my husband loves it so much um, then there's another dish that I prepare that he loves, and that is a 
It's a namesake from his for his mom. It's uh, crawfish Weta. His mom's name is Weta. And um, that's something that she would have loved to have tasted. She's since passed. Um, but that's another one. It's a, um, a crawfish Weta. And that is more of a Creole dish because that is my, my specialty is French Creole. And um, it's, it's a beautiful dish. And you can do it with lobster, you can do it with shrimp, or you can do it with cod. Actually, you can do it with any type of a fish. You can even, maybe get away with doing it with chicken. I've not tried it with chicken, but you could. That sounds good. I'm a big crawfish etouffee fan. Oh, so oh well, there you go. Okay. Oh my god, that's the first thing. We go to a Creole restaurant. That's the first thing I'm looking for, Etafe. If you do a crawfish wita, <laughs> shucks. It it takes Etafe to a whole nother level because it's got pasta instead of rice. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it's really sort of a I don't want to even say Alfredo-ish sauce because it kind of, it's not, it's sort of kind of based on that premise, but it's not as milky and as creamy. It has a lot more flavors to it, um, but it's such a delicious meal. So that would be, those are my two favorite meals to cook, um, but just for an everyday meal, we love salads. And so. We like salads. That's just an everyday meal we like to have. Okay, so my next question is, what's the best meal you've ever eaten? Okay. The best meal I've ever eaten would have to be at this little restaurant that we went to in New Orleans. And what is the name of that dish, honey? Mock? Mock cha. Mock cha. It's, it's also a Creole dish, but it's more on the um, native Indian side. It has like those two, those two flavor profiles together, which I am both because my grand, my grandmother's um, native American uh, descendant. And then my other grandmother is French Creole. So you bring those two together and perhaps that's why I loved it. Cause I've never had those two flavor profiles together. Wow. That's pretty unique. Yeah. Yeah. So th that would have, that's probably the best meal I have eaten in a very long time. Okay. And then last question kind of in this segment here, would you rather cook the meal you're going to eat or would you rather have somebody else cook the meal you're going to eat? I mean, would you rather be involved and how everything goes in, or would you rather just say, I trust you to do it because you're, you know, Stan's in charge or the chef's in charge at the restaurant? Or do you want to be involved in everything that goes into the, the, the cooking of the meal? Um, I'm going to say I want to make it. If it's the best meal that I've had, I want to make it. Yes. Yeah, you want to be fully involved. Yes, in absolutely. And and enjoy and it. And enjoy it. I want to be able to spoil it. That's right. Yeah. I want to be able to go from purchasing the ingredients to picking it out, smelling everything, bringing it home, unpacking, wrapping, washing, chopping, cutting, sauteing. I want to do all of it. And then 
sit down, present it, sit down and enjoy it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's all the crazy culinary kitchen type questions I have for you, but I do want to visit a little bit about the Chef Regina experience because uh, you, we a little bit ago you were talking about a change in things you're working in in the hotels and the restaurants and then the kitchens and then all of a sudden there's a there, there's a it's a season of change things are things are changing so you took that home and started doing things either at your home I think or maybe other people's homes kind of traveling around and then we have this crazy pandemic and all the craziness that happens and all of a sudden maybe we can just do this from home (laughs) so kind of walk me through yeah okay so when i was told i couldn't work at the hotels anymore then i decided to go back to school and it's a promise that i made to my husband that I would get my bachelor's degree. So, okay, hey, why not? This is a perfect time. I can't see, so let's go to school. I can't, I can't work, so let's go to school. And so I did. I, I, I went to UNLV, which is University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And, um, yeah, the running rebels, right? Yeah, running rebels. Yes. And so I realized wow, what am I doing? Because no one told me, hey, Regina, you're going to be going to school. Well, first of all, you're a returning student after almost 20 years of being out of school. Second, you are a blind girl trying to navigate this world. And third, this whole thing is just totally different. It's like, what what, what are you doing? So I did. I, I eventually went and I got through it. It was difficult. Even my husband said, Gina, of all things, I mean, you're going to school as a blind person. Who does that? Like, who goes to school? Who finds out that they're blind and now you're going back to school? And I didn't understand blindness because I knew no one that was blind. Even to say the word blind was sort of like taboo. And so I never used the word blind. I just said, I, I can't, I don't see very well. You know, that was my thing. I just, I just can't see very well. And then at school, I realized that I had to go through the DRC to get my books, um, you know, um, adaptive, um, my, my books form reformatted. Um, I had to learn different devices, reading devices. CTVs, like I, all this was new. Like what? And plus I'm a student. Like I had to learn the language of blindness and also learn the school stuff. The tech, I had to learn technology and it, it was way, it was a lot. And he, eventually my advisor at the DRC Uh, was blind. She was the first blind person I had ever met. And she told me about Blind Connect. And this place was a place where you could go and learn blindness skills. And never heard of this. My doctors never told me about this. None of it. It was just foreign to me. And so I went and there I was introduced to all these tech, you know, technology and 
using a cane. Like, why would I want to use a cane? Use a cane for what? <laughs> uh, learn how to use a cane. Learn how to use my phone. Learn how to. Now I had to go from a visual learner to an audible learner and tactile. And it, it was just a new world for me, John. I, I, I had a lot of pushback. I got to tell you, I it was hard. It was, oh, and then um, my husband was also working and I tried to figure out uh, getting to school on some days. And so that meant signing up for paratransit. It, it was just too much. It was just way, this world was way more complicated. And then at the same time, I was still going to um, UCLA for my chemo treatments. So I was a full-time patient, full-time student, full-time wife, full-time mom, <laughs> and a full-time blind person. And my world was way more complicated than it had ever been. But I have to tell you that my husband stepped in so graciously at times when I didn't even know I needed undergirding. He just did that so seamlessly that a lot of times I forgot that I was blind. And we we triumphed this thing together. So I learned all these skills. Then I, I graduated. I did very, very well in school. And then I went back to Blind Connect to volunteer because they had part of their program was a culinary program. And I thought, well, I'm a chef, so maybe I can help. You know, I was still learning blindness skill, but I had a lot of culinary skills that I felt that I could contribute a little bit to the community. And so I did. And they were very open to the idea. And as soon as I stepped in that summer-ish into that fall of 2019, then that year, 2020, is when we were all affected by the pandemic. So we went from one-on-one cooking and teaching and the whole um, blind connect and learning mobility skills to now everything is shut down. And then eventually, Zoom, we were all introduced to Zoom. And um, programs started coming back on Zoom, except for cooking. That was the only program that was not now a part of where people can re- can connect. And then I thought, wait a minute, how can we do this? How can people connect via Zoom? And we had one of the guys call Blind Connect and said that he wanted someone to help him to show him how to cook or yeah cook to cut because he was cutting himself on his hands and he didn't understand why because he felt that his knife was this knife placement was okay he didn't understand why he was getting nicked and so I said well you know what let's do a FaceTime And I have enough vision to where I can see where your knife placement is and your cutting board. You know, I'll let you can cut something and then let me look and see what you're doing. And as he was cutting the mango, the worst thing that I could teach a person to cook on Zoom, (laughs) um, (laughs) FaceTime, I realized 
oh, wait, his knife is just sitting on his board. So when he sweeps over, that's where he's getting these little nicks on the side of his hand. And so I showed him how to place his knife safely um, so that would avoid that of him getting cut. And then after I hung up, I said, Eureka, <laughs> this is how we can do this. We can, I can do this. I can actually teach people to cook, blind individuals to cook via Zoom. I can do this. So I talked to Raquel um, O'Neill over at the Blind Connect, uh, this crazy idea, and she said, okay, let's do it. And we did a pilot program for eight weeks. It wasn't quite cooking. It was more theory with just a little bit of, little tiny bit of cooking, not a lot. And then uh, it was, it went over. It was a wild success. Then eventually I said, I gotta, I gotta cook. It's just itching. I gotta, I gotta turn the burners on. I gotta turn, turn the ovens on. I gotta let them hear me cook. And then I thought, oh, okay, now how am I gonna do this? They're blind. Hmm. <laughs> Oops. Um, <laughs> I mean, as long as it was theory, it worked. But now how are they going to see me cook? And, yeah, so how does that work? Yeah, how does that work? So as I did a very simple pesto one day, as I was cutting, I found that I was walking, I was talking through it. So I would say things like, okay, I'm going to pick up my knife and I'm going to position my hand on top of the, say, an onion. I'm going to do the claw method. And so I realized that I began to speak and talk through it and how I would hold my knife and show, instruct them verbally. And then had them to listen. Okay, this is what it should sound like when you're sautéing something. And then I would put the microphone near so they could hear the difference between, say, a simmer, a sear. Um, when they could hear water boiling for eggs, hear water boiling for potatoes or rice. So I found myself teaching intuitively. So I started putting in, making it very audio descriptive, if you will. Okay, this is what it should That's what I was sound. thinking. Yeah, when you, were, yes. when you were saying that, I was thinking this is audio description. Yes. Basically what you would see in yes. or hear in, in the uh, film or, or television. Yes, yeah. but much more impactful. Um. And okay, oh, this is what it should smell. Okay, right now I'm smelling it. It smells cinnamony. It smells like lemon. It's that first shot of of a nutmeg. It smells like this. So, and people loved it. They wanted more and more of it. And so, the beginning of 2021 is when I started introducing more and more cooking, and it just grew to where uh, my husband then he had to. Um, I asked him, honey, could you could you come in and assist me? Because he is an yeah, architect. The, the sous chef, yeah, exactly. Right. That's I right. needed a sous chef. Exactly. Yeah. And so he would he stepped in 
and on Wednesdays is his day off. And uh, he comes in and he sets up everything, John. So he sets up the camera. He sets up the camera above the stove because I do also have sighted um, guests as well as blind and low vision. So he sets up the camera for that, does all the techno the technology, and then he steps in as a sous chef. I think he works harder than I do, come to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> he has more jobs than I do. I'm looking for a raise. <laughs> <laughs> but when my husband can learn learn something from me, then I know I have reached many when he can learn from me and because he's a great cook and he is sighted. So I know that when he can learn a simple technique, then I know everybody else got it. And I am very proud when people can, who are afraid to be back in the kitchen, who have maybe recently lost their vision, their eyesight, and they have maybe have cooked all their lives. And now they just stop because they're they're fearful because let's face it, the kitchen is a very daunting place. I mean it 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 has sharp objects, blunt objects, you're gonna burn yourself, it has fire, it just it just has everything that's waiting to happen. But if they can now get in with confidence and with skill and with blindness skills, also with adaptive tools, then they can cook again for themselves and for their families. Yeah, that's big. Right. That's huge to give them that independence back. You know, John, it's interesting. Being married to Regina for decades, I've watched her, the evolution of her career as a chef, you know, from being with her when she was in culinary school to then her going to Europe and, and traveling around Europe and cooking in in other countries and then coming back and doing television and and then going out on her own and becoming this chef who goes into people's homes and cooks these very extravagant meals for their dinner parties, you know, dinners for from I don't know eight people to cocktail parties for for the CEO of uh, Horizon Alaska Air with fifty people at a cocktail party, and and watching her finesse around the kitchen, and then watching her lose her sight and start over again. It like learning. I told her I said you know from the outside looking in, you know when someone loses their hearing they learn sign language. And I said, when she lost her sight, she had to learn blind language. So she had all the memory of, of, you know, having sight and cooking and doing all the things that she did visually, and then translated that into another language of doing the same thing without sight. Amazed me. So I'm when I'm in the kitchen with her now and and watching her cook as a blind woman, a blind chef, I'm I sometimes get I'm supposed to be doing one thing 
you know, she says, honey, can you do this? Can you, can you uh, prepare the shrimp? And I say, yes, I can. And I, I get over there and I start doing it. And then I hear what she's doing and I turn around and watch her over at the stove or watch her as she's uh, cutting something or zesting something and, and listening to her explain how to do it as a blind chef to blind people who want to know how to, to cook these meals. And I watch her and I get distracted and, and find myself, you know, I stop what I'm doing or, or kind of halfway do it as I'm trying to watch. But, but this is what I discovered after being in the kitchen with her for a year in her blindness. Now, mind you, I've been in the kitchen with her sighted, like I said, for decades. And to now be in the kitchen with her blind, cooking intuitively, after a year, I honestly can say, you could put a blindfold on me and I could cook your dinner yeah. just by watching her listening. Yeah, she, it's an art. It sounds like she's, she's an artist. It is. And, and you know, I, I was, I was as a husband, I was so proud and blessed to hear one of the girls who was in the class say, um, after, I guess they came to the end of this one season and the young lady said, chef Regina, you know, when I met you, I had not been in the kitchen in three years. After having been with you this time, you could come to my house for dinner and I can cook you whatever you want. That's awesome. That got to make you feel great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it does. It makes, makes me feel great. When the whole thing is making your kitchen your friend again or making your kitchen your friend. And it's, it's a beautiful assignment. Because I did not know that this is what my purpose was. The design that the Lord would actually mm, have me come to this place where I can be a part of a privileged community that I can serve and live and breathe and encourage. A community that is often forgotten is almost invisible. I never knew or never thought or considered a blind person as a sighted person. It's not that I didn't think about it. I just didn't think about it. You know, it's just not a part of your world. And to be in this world and to learn to navigate it so gracefully and graciously I am honored to have this call upon my life right now because I honor it and it's a privilege. If people want to uh, connect with you, Regina, it's chefregina.com if they want to see the artist at work or yeah, if they want, can people go there and sign up and stuff? Yes, they can. They can go to chefregina.com and um, there's a contact information. You just put it in there and I'll get it. Or they can always email me at chefrdm at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and have you be a part of the class. Great. We'll link to those uh, in the show notes as well. So just look down, scroll down, you'll see the links to that. Regina, Stan, it's been a lot of fun visiting with you. It's been and, a pleasure. Um, 
I hope the next time we do this, we're in a kitchen or at a restaurant having a meal together. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot, John, for inviting Thank you, us. John. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.